It's time to experience the Synergy Connection Show with your host, Lucy Forsting. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Synergy Connection Show, where we do our best to connect the dots between who we are as emotional, physical, spiritual, and intellectual people. We are quite complicated, and I think everybody would agree that the last almost two years has made us even more complicated uh, because there's been so much stress in our lives and it's impacted every single facet of who we are. Um, If you go to my website, excuse me, www.synergyconnectionradio.com, there are, I believe, 19 pages of shows over four years now. And um, so a lot of my guests are repeaters. Um, I love to give opportunities to people to come back about every four months because they have so much valuable information. And I don't think a one time only is the way to go. I think uh, having people on at least three times a year gives everyone a chance to learn from some of the most brilliant minds that I know personally. So uh, check out the website. On the website, there is a Um, link that will take you into one of the sponsors, uh, Boomers Forever Young. And I do use their products. I love them. I think they're world class and they make a huge difference in your overall health. So one of the products I talk about uh, substantially is Gladiator Barley and Gladiator Barley will take toxins out of your body It uh, reduces inflammation and it rebuilds muscle. And if you're over the age of 50, you lose 1% of your muscle mass every single year. So as you approach 60, you've lost 10%. As you approach 70, you've lost 20%. And you can see where that's gonna go because that is the reason a lot of our seniors fall is they don't have the muscles supporting them anymore. And it's easier to fall and break a hip or I know one lady who broke her femur and it took her forever to heal. So check out their website, check out their testimonies. They have blogs, they have videos. They're a really, really good, honest company and I highly recommend them. So I have as a returning guest, uh, Melanie Starr and Melanie is from Nova Scotia. And I just, I know that's a place that I am going to get to eventually. So maybe Melanie and I will finally meet in person. Um, But uh, she's a holistic healing professional and coach. She's doing more holistic divorce recovery coaching these days. And um, she's got 25 years of experience in yoga therapy and energy healing alongside of a long career as a consultant and writer in a healthcare and medical science field. So welcome back. I'm so happy to have you back with me. Thanks, Lucy. It's really, thank you for asking me back. Oh, my pleasure. I I think you have a lot to offer, a lot to talk about. And so we're going to be actually discussing today, uh, empowering women. Uh, Because I think, especially if you're doing uh, divorce coaching, um, divorce is never easy. And so many women, and I will say a lot of men too, get beat up along the process of the divorce. Um, But many women have been in relationships where they were um, put down. Uh, I guess I'll use it that way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as a therapist myself, I've seen that where their self-confidence is negligible. 
Um, yes. They don't have any trust of themselves or others. And so you're going to be helping them rebuild those critical skills if they're going to go out there in the world. Exactly. Yes. Well, definitely what I see in middle-aged women um, going through divorce is pretty common patterns. A lot of uh, the women I work with have been in long marriages generally. So it's not so much like a two or three year relationship, but they've been in long, long-term marriages. And what um, oftentimes it turns out that these marriages were imbalanced in their power dynamics and that women have given away a lot of their power for the sake of staying in the relationship because they value the marriage so much. They value the family, they value their role. Um, they may or may not have financial power of their own, depending. And um, some, a lot of women are still very much under, you know, religious sanctions that make divorce something that's stigmatized and shameful still. Even still, today. really. Even today. Yeah, a lot of women will feel like I, no one's ever been divorced in my family or it's very shameful. They're, they're, even, they're ashamed to even talk to their friends about what's going on in their relationships um, as they go, as the relationships are falling apart, or they may not even feel empowered to seek professional help um, with the relationship or even with their own mental health um, as they're coming out of the relationship. There is a pretty wide problem of um, shame-based thinking and sense of unworthiness. You know, like somehow they failed. Yes, there's a great, I mean, I really think that there's um, a lot more responsibility put onto women for keeping the marriage healthy. It's like the homemaker concept, even though they may also have a full-time job and career or run their own business or whatever, it's still, you know, in our concept of how, at least, you know, for women in, in our age group, you know, women in their fifties, it might not be the same for women. I think that the younger people coming along now that are married in their twenties and thirties, and they're still really young people. I think that the social contract has changed a fair bit. But the women in my middle-aged demographic are coming along. We're sort of like the last generation that was still steeped in the white picket fence. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? That the post-war, yeah. uh, the post-war marriage um, dream. You know, mm -hmm. the American dream, the the picket fence, and the, the the perfection in the in the home front, and all of that. Like so, this generation of women was trying to still be perfect homemakers, perfect mothers but also sallying forth to be perfect academics or perfect businesswomen and doctors and, and, you know, professionals and all these other things that women have been doing. Uh -huh. um, but they've been a lot of so much, I think women putting their energy external to themselves, like putting their own energy out, not bringing much of their own energy back into themselves. And then also getting their sense of worth from external sources. Right. I know a lot of women who, uh, after their children, don't, quote unquote, need them anymore. Yes. Um, they do wonder, OK, what what value do I have if I'm no longer uh, mothering, you know, a younger child and now I have teenagers or they've gone off to college? It's that whole empty nest syndrome for both males and females because they've been so focused on raising a family and now they look at each other and they don't know each other. And I was going to ask you, is, is that one of the primary things that you see is when you ask um, the woman who is maybe seeking your um, coaching, 
do they say we were never equals? Do they say, um, you know, he lost interest in me? I mean, what is the primary reason that they are moving apart? Okay, though, that's, there's a great deal of variation. Um, but oftentimes, what I'm seeing are abusive relationships, toxic relationships in a lot of cases where um, the woman is really giving, have been giving away their power for years, uh, trying to keep the peace. A lot of times they're, they've been in the relationship so long because they haven't seen any choice except to stay. Um, perhaps they Were they protecting their children in some cases? In some, well, they might've been protecting their children better to leave. Mm. in some cases right um but again the, the, if they if they don't have the financial power if they don't have the social support um and if they are very much codependent mm -hmm. and um they are deriving their worth from being in the marriage and their family and all these um sort of external aspects that's more important than maybe their own mental health and they're willing to tolerate an awful lot or they don't notice and they're giving themselves away like I'm seeing a huge patterns of self-sacrifice, huge patterns of codependency and sub subverting their own needs for the needs of others, which is how women have been socialized um, very strongly that, you know, we get our value from giving. Like it's very considered to be very feminine, to be very, um, you know, serving the needs of other people, putting the needs of other people ahead of ours, whether that's our children or our parents or our spouse, the mother eats last, she'll take, you know, what's, what's the least amount that's, that's left, you know, comes to her, right? There's a very, very strong patterns of um, codependency among my client base mm -hmm. um, tends to be who I work with is um, people who are really trying to heal those patterns in themselves where the, um, energy of their partner is most likely echoing the energy of a parent from their, obviously from their childhood, where they are trying to, I'm sure you've seen this pattern a million times, where they're trying to resolve the relationship, the unsatisfying relationship where they never quite measured up to this parent figure. And they're trying to resolve that relationship with the spouse. And they're repeating that same energy again mm -hmm. and again, but they can't quite measure up to the exacting standards um, um, I can't that, even that, begin to tell you the number of times that I've seen women married to their fathers hoping to heal, you know, that broken relationship or men, um, because I'm still doing, yeah, married to their mothers and trying. I have uh, a number of uh, couples that I'm working with right now in therapy. And, you know, one of them had a very failed relationship with his mother. And so all of the relationships since he has become an adult, you know, is based upon trying to find the woman that was most like his mother to heal that relationship. And, right. you know, it doesn't work, of course, but um, we have patterns and the patterns are hard to break. They are really hard to break. And they're, they're um, because they're not even just personal patterns. Mm -hmm. They're generational patterns. Exactly. They're, they're societal patterns. They're society. They're patterns that are in our DNA because even though we may know intellectually that we're equal to our um, our spouse, um, you know, we may know in in every regard. We may know this intellectually, but if we are you know brought up in a culture and a religion and uh, an economy where women's work is 
you know, traditional women's work is less valued and men are, you know, the superior, uh, the powerful beings, the breadwinners and all of these kinds of, of things, the protectors. Um, and we're still caught in some of this generational stuff. Where you know, what's, what's really fascinating when you think of it that way is that goes all the way back to caveman days. Yes. I mean, oh, no, you I, know, I, the, yeah, the caveman went out and, you know, protected the wife stayed back with the children for the most part. And, you know, our Native Americans, other cultures, you know, women had important roles. But generally speaking, they were the ones that stayed behind to take care of the home and the hearth and the kids and, you know, maybe a garden. And the, the men the went gathering out and that they would have been treating all the animal skins, yep. um, doing a lot of very valuable work. It was very gendered though, right? Yeah. Of course it was gendered, but that was, that was normal, but we have inherited gendered roles, yes. right? But we're, but the problem is, is that our society is just changed so much and there's nothing wrong with all that. That's great. But the growing pains that men are women, that men and women are going through as we adjust to the way society is now where it doesn't matter what your um, sex is, you can do any of the things. It's no, you know, you don't have to be like really strong and hardy and be able to throw a spear really far anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right? To um, to go out and uh, bring home bring home the bacon, as it were. So there's just so many more pressures on couples and pressures on women, but also women. I really feel are well. There's so many things going on in terms of our socialization, but we're, we've always been, or for many, you know, decades, generations, whatever, being socialized to be, you know, smaller, to not take up as much space, to not be too loud, to not be too bold, because you would get censored by your community. If you were, um, you know, if you were too overtly sexual, you'd be labeled, you know, um, uh, a harlot or something like that. Exactly. And, you know, and, um, or if you were too, you know, powerful in the workplace, you'd be called a ball breaker or something like that. Or if you spoke your opinion too firmly with not enough apologies that you'd be called a bitch, mm -hmm. right? Um, traits that are considered admirable in men in terms of, of, of um, showing their personal power are, that are, you know, celebrated to be, you know, um, decisive and outspoken and all those kind of things that are admired in men tend to be far less admired in women, say in the workplace situations, but also at home. The same mm -hmm. attitudes that permeate workplaces, also they do you know, ripple back in to the home environment, right? Um, so women, you know, we're more likely to be socialized as people pleasers, certainly. I don't think boys are given the same kind of instructions from their mothers and society in general, in terms of like not talking back, um, you know, you're to be seen and not heard. You must, you know, sugar and spice, right? And everything nice. What are little girls made of, right? right. Instead of puppy dog tails and <laughs> snails and snakes and snails and spiders and whatever else that little boys are, you know, meant to be charging around, climbing trees and doing all these things. And the girls are supposed to be looking pretty, right? And being quiet and, and polite and helping make everybody else feel better and be more comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to being, you know, provocative or confrontational um, or any of these things that women are certainly more than capable of doing, but there's a great more uh, fear that women experience in trying to come forward with that because it goes against our programming. Right. 
right? Um, so in terms of trying to empower women, um, so the, some of the basic work that I do when I work with women, say one-on-one -on -one, is to really identify um, where, where they first started giving away their power, right? Like in childhood, where is your power going to? Who are you giving it to? Is it your mother or your father? Is it to feelings of um, shame? Is it to siblings? Like where, where in your life have you started to lose your voice, started to silence yourself, started to limit yourself in terms of what you thought you could do? Like I was told I wasn't allowed to climb that tree because I might tear my dress or whatever else it might be that we're told or, you know, implied you know, that we're not I, supposed I, to do as women. Yeah, right? this, this was so, I, I remember it to this day, I was in kindergarten and um, my mother's, um, would walk me halfway back to school because she could see the school from where we lived. Mm -hmm. So she would walk me halfway back and I was, I had to have been like five years old. And, um, but I loved to play with the boys, you know, I, yeah, I, I liked, um, I don't want to say rough and tough, but I just liked the, the way they played better. And yeah. so I was always getting my dress that I went to school in messed up. So my mom would tell me over and over and over again, you know, if you want to play with the boys, you're going to dress like the boys. Right. And so one day she followed through, you know, and I had to go back and little overalls and I could picture the overalls. They were little corduroy overalls. And I'm sure I looked at cute. And to this day, I prefer jeans and pants to a dress unless I'm going someplace rather formal. But I just enjoy that more comfortable feel than a skirt or a dress on. And, uh, but I, I so remember walking back and feeling horrible, you know, like everybody was going to tease me because now I was dressed like a boy. Right. Did you get teased? Um, you know, that part, I don't think I did. Um, I think that if anything, maybe the girl said, well, that looks comfortable. <laughs> right. Um, well, and it certainly did change girls. Thankfully, um, mm -hmm. people don't tend to dress their girls like that anymore. No, right. no. Um, and so that those stereotypes and things, you know, certainly did exist. There is a person you probably are familiar with her. Her name is Esther Perel. Oh, yeah, I've heard her name. Yeah. Yeah. She has some amazing videos, but she talks about the fact and she's been on TED Talks and other, you know, podcast kind of programs. She talks about the fact that um, we used to have a village you know, that helped yeah. with women. Um, it helped with, you know, raising your children, cooking, yeah. being a widow, um, you know, whatever it might be. And the men had their, you know, support group because they hunted yeah. with each other or they went off yeah. doing whatever with each other. Yeah. We don't have that anymore. And she comments that in many relationships, the problem is, is that the one person that we do have, our partner, is expected to be everything to us. And that's, Im that's impossible. They can't be everything. It's true. And that the actual, like the rise of the nuclear family and the loss of a tribe. Right. That's put incredible pressures on um, men and women to be everything to each other. Um, it, it's actually been terribly deleterious to both men and women as individuals and to relationships, mm -hmm. families. Yeah, not having that tribe support. Women used to nurse each other's babies things that would be unthinkable now, right? Right. 
you know, you just had the support of your community and your mother would be uh, much younger than a lot of women, you know, you wait since if you have uh, a child when you're 35 and your mother had a child when she was 35, you're, you're dealing with gram a grandmother who's 70 now instead of a grandmother who's 40. Exactly. Right. Big, big difference. So we're in the sandwich generation too, with our aging parents and our, you know, young kids growing up mm -hmm. in these complicated mm -hmm. times. So there's certainly um, a lot well, the of average age, you know, to give birth years ago was probably 18. Right. And now it's you know, you know, 19 like, years old. Um, and yeah. you had a couple of kids by the time you were in your early twenties, when you still had a lot of energy and it was expected that you stay home with them uh, until they were ready to go to school. And then you could enter the workforce if you wanted to. Yeah. 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 I do feel that this particular generation of women are in this bind where um, they, we, we kind of bought into a concept of marriage that was already kind of outdated in a lot of cases. Um, and then society changed, but we're in these relationships carrying on through time. And um, the other thing that I see with this absolutely startling regularity, I'm in a divorce support group with more than 4,000 members. It's been growing like exponentially since it started just this time last year. I won't name it because it's more to do, um, I feel a great deal of protection of the safety of the members. Um, but they could, some, if anyone wanted to join it, they could email me to ask about it. Um, do, for women going through a divorce after many, many years of marriage, like 25 years or longer, and the pattern that I see when women come, when they first join this group and they're saying their story, the pattern of being in a marriage 25 or 30 years and then to be blindsided by their partner, no sign that anything was going on, no conflict that they knew of in the marriage, but husband coming home and saying to wife, I'm leaving you. It's, it's happening just like boom, boom, boom. There was a book about, about it written called uh, Runaway Husbands. And they're leaving their wives um, without notice and generally to pursue or because they're already with a much younger woman. It's just, it's so stereotypical. And you go, what's driving this besides the midlife crisis of the man? Um, and then you have, well, um, the tremendous access now to online dating, it makes it very, very easy to form connections with other people um, right under your partner's nose without them knowing. That's happening, I think, all over the place. And um, I don't know, maybe it's differences in, in sex drive um, and you know the lack of communication maybe that's been going on for a long time, or like you said, staying together for the kids for a long time, but nothing, have, they haven't been nurturing their marriage for those two decades. Um, while the kids were growing up and now the kids are gone and they look at each other, they don't know each other anymore, like you said. Um, it's, um, it's really tragic to see the number of women who are just literally being blindsided by that kind of thing. Um, it's quite... You quite would tough. think, though, um, you know, as a female, uh, you would think that if he wasn't maybe uh, attentive um, you know, and I don't mean just sexually, but I mean, you know, affectionate, um, you know, there was bonding kind of conversations, cuddle time in bed. If, if those things weren't happening, if you were kind of going your separate ways at bedtime, if uh, dinner conversations were more, I mean, more people are on their phones and connecting yes. with that than they are with one another these days. And That's those would be certainly signs that, you know, something was amiss because 
you know, this connection that we have with each other emotionally, um, intellectually, physically that I talk about all the time, uh, yeah. you know, it's there. And if it's missing, then there's something happening under the radar. I mean, you need to look, you need to be saying, what am I losing here? Because you're losing one another. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's true, too. Um, and I'm not sure why. Well, a lot of women say that as far as they were concerned, they thought everything was dandy. Hmm. I would want to know how they would describe dandy. <laughs> yeah. What is yeah. that? What does that mean? Yeah, well, they thought everything was fine. You know, maybe they just are, were used to operating on a on a level that was not as deep as what maybe their partner was seeking or what could right. be. Right. Um, you know, and then a very large percentage of the women, the ones that I work with personally, individually, it's almost always um an abusive situation. Mm. Where and then it's time to go, and it was time to go a long time ago. That's right. And it takes a lot of courage actually to do it though. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's not as easy. It's not as easy as what people think. It's like, oh, well, there was um, emotional abuse going on. Why did you stay? Well, it's a lot harder to leave than what people might imagine. Well, you're so beat down if it's emotional. You know, you don't feel like you have value. And so what am I going to do when I get outside of my marriage? Will anybody else ever care about me? You know, can I find a job to support myself? What are my kids going to think? I mean, there's a million and one things that are going to go through their heads. That's for sure. Exactly. The financial ramifications are a big part of it. Mm -hmm. um, the, the social ramifications, um, you know, to lose your home, to potentially lose friendships. That happens a lot. A lot mm -hmm. of people, a lot of women report that, you know, they've lost all their friends as well because they were friends um, like couples that were friends as couples, that's all gone. Um, sometimes their kids even turn against them, even though there was this abuse, right? It, it happens. It's quite, it's astonishing the um, chaos that uh, many people have been living with and then how that um, can continue to dog their heels um, right. even when they're out. Yeah. Especially you know, one, one of the things that, um, I have seen, and it always amazes me um, every time I do see it, is kids that say, well, she deserved it. Like she had deserved the abuse. Wow. And I have seen it any number of times. And the feeling is, is that usually the, the male, the father figure in the home, because uh, it could be a stepfather even, you know, if it's a marriage that maybe the first one didn't make it, or maybe they weren't married and there were children involved. But, um, you know, there's arguing, there's, um, but usually the, the male in this case puts her down so much that the kids begin to see her as less than. You know, right. so, so mom could have gotten a, an education, you know, could have developed a trade, didn't assist, you know, um, in bringing money into the home, um, made it harder for dad to function. I mean, they, they actually begin to skew their thinking into where he was coming from. And then when the separation and divorce takes place, oftentimes they take his side because they've only heard his side mom stayed so submissive that they never really saw any of her reasons. Yeah. Yeah. That can happen. I'm sure mm -hmm. it can. I'm sure mm -hmm. I can. I would say that, um, 
there's a, there's so many things going on here from um, like individual power politics yeah. to do with really just on that energetic level, um, intimidation, right? Physical or just implied energetic um, power plays that make it scary for a woman to speak up sometimes um she wants to avoid conflict in the house and the children right so she will avoid conflict and allow her own voice to be subdued just for the sake of peace Mm -hmm. i think happens a lot trying to protect the children but like you just said the children don't understand or see all of that right they're only going to see um they're only going to see the surface level another thing i think that goes on and it could be part of all of this is um, sexual shame. That women, um, the way we've been socialized through religion has played a lot um, to do with this and just societal programming as, as well. You know, the, the whole idea that you either, um, in Christianity, you're either like the virgin, you know, you're like a, a virgin Madonna kind of um, proper woman or you're a whore, right? Like there's no sort of middle ground accepted of, of healthy sexuality. Um, where women can really feel empowered to connect with that aspect of themselves in a way that's not connected to any shame. I mean, we're born in sin and it's only um, acceptable to have sex for procreative purposes or within the confines of a marriage. Um, We're not really taught to celebrate our bodies. There's, you know, um, like female masturbation is really uh, looked down upon, Um, you know, if you dress provocatively and, you know, there's all the victim shaming that happens, you know, what was she wearing? You know, (laughs) that is so true. Oh yeah. You know, with sexual harassment or sexual assault, uh, the focus is on the victim to have to defend themselves for the fact that they weren't asking for it. So to speak, like there's all of these undercurrents that may inhibit you know, are truly connected, like a true meeting of equals sexual connection between, mm-hmm. a, between a couple and that persists through menopause, right? Um, like we become, we are the maiden mother crone. And as soon as we're past that mother phase, it's like our sexuality may not be as front and center or as say accepted, let alone celebrated, right? And so maybe men are like, if their wife is not feeling that in themselves and they maybe have layers of shame um, that they've dealt with their whole life, they may have been sexually abused as children. That's obviously very common as well. Um, That perhaps men are looking for a woman who feels freer in her body and more connected in her body Um, than perhaps some women may be feeling. I'm I'm just kind of guessing here. or, you know, hypothesizing, wondering what you think from what you see in your practice? Well, <clears throat> I think a lot of men want to feel loved. Yes, and accepted they, for who they are. Yeah. Yes, and, and they, so, you know, if you're not, um, and this I have seen over and over again. I, again, I've been doing this for 35 years, so I have a lot of years of working with couples and individuals. But I have seen where the women, you know, when they're first married, it's all about romance usually and lust for one another. And, you know, the sexuality is, is a high priority. 
Um, but it may not be, you know, as Esther Perel has said, we have a lot of body parts that play the role of being intimate with one another. If you only focus on the sexual organs, then you're missing it because you can cuddle, you can touch one another, you can kiss, you can hold, you know, there's so many different, give a massage. There's so many different ways of expressing affection. And so if it has only been in the bedroom for 20 minutes and then, you know, slam, bam, thank you, ma'am, uh, roll over, go to sleep, that is not going to satisfy most women or men because right. they want that affection. They want the, to feel that you care about me, you know, that you love me, not just what I bring home in terms of a paycheck or right. what both people are bringing home, you know, because sometimes the woman is paid more than the man. Um, so, you know, that mutual affection for one another needs, you know, to be a priority all through a marriage, because then that can, uh, cushion a lot of the stressors that are naturally going to happen. You know, they're mm -hmm. just there. And if you have, you know, that mutual affection, mutual understanding and support, and that you listen to one another, you know, that you actually put down you know, a book or put down your phone or, or turn off the television and spend time with eye contact and truly intercepting one another at a level that shows I care, you know, then you can kind of weather a lot of these other hardships because they're going to happen. But if you've forgotten how to do that, if you're just in your world, and if your world maybe only includes the children up until they leave the house, then he is going to definitely feel left out. Yes, I think that happens a lot. I think I it does. Yeah, I do. And women are very, become very focused on their children and um, men feel perhaps left out, um, a bit ignored in that equation. Mm -hmm. That can certainly happen, I'm sure. So um, yeah, it's very, it's very complicated. Um, but when we're trying to, you know, regardless of their marital status or whether they're going through divorce or anything else, um, I think women need to connect with their feminine energy um, in a different kind of way than maybe what they've been taught to. I think we're taught in the way our society works is that it's masculine energy is what gets things done. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's in the business world or um, in, you know, production of goods and services and how the economy works and all this kind of stuff where it's like, you know, that pushing forward and goal oriented and step-by-step, -step, you know, linear processes um, based on logic and all of these things where there's not as much room for uh, maybe creating through connection, creating with uh, intuition, with maybe more receptive capacities um, as opposed to like pushing forward, but more of those like feminine creating space for allowing of, you know, the co-creation of, you know, creating of communities and moving forward in more collaborative ways, these kind of more feminine um, undertakings that um, is important for women to start to learn how to rely on each other more and their deeper wisdom that they carry within them, their intuition mm -hmm. um, to make more space for that, to drive their decisions and how they decide to create in their lives. And right. um, that's really, I think, 
hasn't really been honored very much in the way that our society is structured and what our society values, right? Everything is very much more based on external factors, right. and, you know, than internal factors. Right. One of the things self-referencing as opposed to being other referencing right. or sense of value. And where is your, what, wherein lies your intrinsic value as a human? Um, right? Is it in your accomplishments and achievements or is it in the love that you provide or the safety, sense of safety that you provide to other people, right? Like we don't have metrics for measuring those kinds of qualities and attributes. They're not as honored and valued in our society as, you know, creating wealth or, um, you know, creating actual physical, you know, communities, buildings, um, businesses, and all of these kinds of things that have been predominantly male um driven mm-hmm. over the centuries right right no that's that's you know really true and i mean even as little as a hundred years ago which isn't a very i mean that's you know like four di- how do they refer in 1921 to just think what it was like in 1921 yeah i i was thinking back um i'm not sure what i was watching but it showed a woman who had been basically shamed out of a marriage for some reason. And she had very little in the way of work skills, okay? So what happened was she looked around her and she realized that she could either go to work for something like $5 a day and you know barely um, be able to provide for herself, or she could become what they used to call a woman of the night And she could make a lot of money. And she chose that. She became a madam. And eventually, uh, they've written a book about her, and I guess they made a movie once upon a time. But um, eventually, she had clients like Frank Sinatra, you know, that came to see her girls, um, President Roosevelt. (laughs) But this was back in, you know, like um, the year 1918 to 19, like in the 20s when all of this was happening and prohibition was going on and they had the speakeasies and she would parade her women so that it would be like, okay, you can choose from this bevy of females. And so back at that time, you know, women either were married and their men had mistresses. Yeah. And this was very common in Europe or, you know, you were, uh, there, there's a, Netflix series. It's been on for uh, 10 years now, I guess, called Call the Midwife. And it's really quite good. But I mean, it was, you know, happening then where the women in in the poorer areas of England, they had to, you know, take uh, and stay home with multiple children, while the men were out on boats, or whether they were away working and, you know, would return periodically, but, you know, they could barely hold it together. And um, so it, it shows these snapshots of how women have come along through, you know, just from the early, uh, well, 1940s, basically, because I think it started around 1946, you know, up to uh, I, right now they're in the 60s. And so the fashions are very much like, um, you know, uh, Jacqueline Kennedy's was yeah. you know, back when she of. was first lady. So yeah. it's fascinating to watch this progression of where our thinking has come from, because it used to be that you knew 
um, you would be married for a lifetime. It was very seldom that people got divorced, but at the same time, you knew that your husband was probably going to be unfaithful and would have multiple affairs. And that was just the way it was. So you had your women friends, but you knew you had a roof over your head and hopefully, you know, it wasn't physically abusive or emotionally abusive. And then as time has evolved, I think the abuse has become much greater as, you know, there has been less freedom for men in a way. And so now we're in this balancing act of how do you find a relationship of equality where you can work collaboratively to solve the problems that you have within any relationship, marriage or otherwise? Sure. So what I'm picking up um, underneath what you're saying is that in today's marriages or like ones that have been going, like uh, those of us who got married in say like the 80s, the 90s, um, that there's an expectation of, of fidelity now. Yes. Like women are expecting their husbands to be faithful to them. Mm-hmm. But, well, that's what the promise is. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. That's the explicitly stated agreement. Um, so it's, it's interesting, right? And then, but then some men, I've certain heard, certainly heard many men say that men are not capable of monogamy or they're not designed for it. And maybe women are like, humans are not considered to be one of the naturally monogamous species. Um, so maybe that's where this new, new models of relationships need to be formed. Or, I mean, have you ever read um, Gary Zukov's book, The Seed of the Soul? Yes where um, the conversation is really that, you know, we have these relationships in our lives, the people that we have intimate relationships with and love like heart connections with and sexual connections with are really for our own evolution and self knowledge, like the development of our self knowledge. And we learn so much like people come into our life for a reason. And that's all and that, that that reason may not sustain itself for the entirety of both people's lifespans. Right. Especially if you're getting together at a young age. And our lifespans are much longer now. Much longer. So people are living well into their, like before, you know, if people were married um, for 30 years by the time they were 50, and they're only expecting to live to be 60 or 65, highly unlikely to end that marriage. But if you've been married for 20 or 30 years and you're in your mid 50s and you expect to live into your 90s and you're miserable, well, then for what heavens, you know, why in heaven's name would you um, keep each other bound in that relationship if one or the other of you wanted to be free and you could have a better life, right? So it's, um, you know, the attachment to the relationship, even if it's no longer serving either partner very well and may even, in fact, be tearing one person to pieces or even both people being torn to pieces um, in the relationship, it makes more sense to let it go than it does to drag it forward, right? Right. Um, You know, we do put a lot of expectation, like you say, that not only should the partner be faithful and meet all of your needs, like all of them, because these other social structures supports are not as readily available, and be for life, Uh for a long life. I mean, my parents were married for 65 years. They, well, my father died just a month, literally before what would have been my parents' 65th anniversary. That's amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. And they actually were really devoted to each other all those years. Right. Right. Um, But that's, you know, I don't know how um, it'll be really interesting to see 
what goes on with the marriages that are being forged today. Where I think young people are coming in where the women may have a stronger sense of self-worth. There's been enough societal shift and time and women forging so much further ahead. And, you know, whether it's medicine, science, law, engineering, you know, every professional field, uh, business, all of the fields that, where women are, have staked such strong claims now. I mean, more than half of all medical students are women now, for example. Um, that the partnerships, I, I feel like younger men, that there's, like my ex-husband, for example, was probably one of the earlier men that we did a role reversal. And he was the primary caregiver. I, I, it was my business that was our breadwinner. He supported me in the business and he looked after the kids. Uh, but he didn't have social support for that role from his peer group mm. at the time. Um, and I think that made it really difficult for him. I think that took a lot out of him and was very hard on him. And I feel, I feel bad about it. Nothing I can do about it. But I think that it's much more common now. It's much more accepted that, that it's considered more honorable now. I don't think that men have to worry about their peers kind of like laughing up their sleeves at them or looking down at them or their parents looking down at them or people questioning like, what are your accomplishments because you're not accomplishing enough. I think there's maybe there's more value being put into raising children than there was 20 years ago. I'm not sure, but I'm watching with interest to see how these newer relationships and, and marriage where I think that there's a stronger 50-50 partnership in terms of both people having careers, but both being dedicated to the children, or maybe there's a role re re reversal. It's a, I mean, I'd love to be able to do research on it to see how it all pans out. I really hope that it's, that, um, that it's going to be better for these situations going forward so that men feel more empowered and that the, the actual work of raising children and looking after and creating a home is more valued so that it's not just women's work anymore. It's actually humans work. Right. Right. Because and that is our future. It is our future. And so why should it be so undervalued? Right. Like right. all unpaid, all unpaid work in the home has been incredibly undervalued, but why should it be undervalued to create a stable environment to, for children to be nurtured and, and develop? Right. Mm-hmm. It's been, they've been swept, they've been really, you know, there's this weird paradox of everything you can buy, everything on the planet now for kids. There's so much emphasis on, you know, specialized products. You go, there used to be all you needed for when you had a baby with some diapers and, you know, a soother and, and a crib or something. But now like the merchandise that goes into babies and, and into children and everything. But meanwhile, the parents' time and attention is totally focused on, so focused on just making ends meet. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of collective support um, for raising children or government support in the States. It's way worse in Canada <laughs> in terms of what's available for maternity leave and paternity leave and all these kind of things. It's fascinating. And then there's this whole um, new world coming forward of people having these consciously non-monogamous relationships as well. And I don't know how that pans out with children in the picture. I have no idea. I find all of that interesting to observe right? we, we are definitely evolving but i think if we can keep in mind you know the importance and this is what i i do stress with the couples i work with is the relationship needs to feel equal you know the, you yes. you each will have your strengths and each will have your weaknesses but when you work together that it is one of equality it's not one where one is dominating and telling the other one how to live 
or what to do, but it's consulting, it's collaborating, it's working together as a team. Um, I always tell people that, you know, the, the word team is together, everyone achieves more. That is the definition of team. And so we should have a team as a family, you know, not just yeah. um, dads at the head of the household, you know, mom does her role and the kids do theirs. But if you're a family, there is teamwork and, and everybody yeah. can, you know, participate in that. But if equality is there, you treat each other with respect. You treat each other with um, courtesy. You know, you can be affectionate with everyone. And this hands-on, you know, being able to touch one another physically. So much of that was lost during COVID of 2020 and even parts of 2021, you know, where there was very little physical contact. And I think a lot of people got divorced because of the stress that they were under worldwide you know, during the pandemic and realizing that what they didn't have with each other, you know, became forefront. It became very obvious that right. the Here they are together in the house, but then they realized that, oh, we were just so distracted. Yes. And so busy that we didn't realize what was missing, but too bad not to take the opportunity to reconnect. Well, they have to know how to reconnect. And most people right. don't have those skills. They're there if they reach out you know, and maybe talk to a professional. I think, you know, most of us have the skills to help people rebuild. You don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Um, and you can learn how to reconnect. But in some cases, the connection is so frayed that it's probably better, you know, to go your separate ways, but to learn, learn from what you experienced. So you don't repeat because in many cases, they'll go right back out there and repeat the same relationship and get the same results. Yeah, it's true. And because it goes, it does go back to the childhood programming. Yes. For how people are also the other thought that came to mind and it was something that came up with a client um, last week. Um, that whole idea that you, that you teach people how to treat you. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, a relationship is not like say the division of labor is drastically skewed and it could be, it doesn't, it's, this isn't necessarily gender. It could be the man that's disadvantaged in the situation. Um, I wouldn't, that's not, not, I don't work with men so much, but, or it could be the woman, but if you have um, low sense of self-esteem and you feel like you've been socialized in such a way, or you've taken on all kinds of beliefs that you're not a worthy person um, because maybe you were sexually abused or you were in a really toxic household where you felt somehow that you're not an important person and that you're not very worthy and that really your goal is to be a scapegoat for the family or to suck it up or the only way that you could survive emotionally was if you basically catered to your parents to such an extent that you could keep everybody's nerves you know, uh -huh. in a safe state. Like you're looking after your own emotional safety by uh, people pleasing and pandering and running around looking after everybody and fixing everything and being the peacemaker and that person because you can't handle the anxiety of when things all go sideways mm -hmm. um, and you take that sense of like okay it's up to me to keep the peace in the family and you're running around you know anxiously trying to keep everyone like make sure everyone is okay but if you take that template into your marriage and family then these these I think that regardless of sex, that you're going to um, create, recreate dysfunctional dynamics 
in your own home based sure. on the imprinting, right? Sure. So you're going to take on more because you feel like that you're less valuable, mm-hmm. like that your time is less valuable somehow and that you have to, it's your job to make life easy for other people. Right. Whether it's doing too much for your kids and um, then playing into a learned helplessness on their part and where they're not pitching in and you don't have that team and you're uh, making everything your responsibility. Mm-hmm. Everyone else's well-being and feelings are your responsibility. Like you're that true code kind of person, right? Right. Doesn't matter what your intentions are, unless you consciously work to break through that programming. That programming is there. It right. has to be. It has to be dissolved. For and it has to be first recognized. Right. And then and then worked through and released and healed, and then new behaviors, new attitudes, learned and adopted and embodied. Mm-hmm. right like it takes practice mm-hmm. actually with like baby steps baby steps to move beyond those patterns and um this client and i we were we actually kind of had this moment we were talking about the martyr mother and we even said oh look the word martyr and mother like and i think german like martyr, like there are certain like in other languages martyr and mother are practically the same word and it's like that it's and it it you know, there's ties back into Christianity too, like that bleeding heart thing, you know, <laughs> and like the, the self-sacrifice and all those other components, like you're just the best woman when you give everything for your family, right? Right. You'd, you'd give someone the shirt off of your back and feed them your last crumb and all that kind of stuff. But then how are you actually going to be there for your family and your community or your clients or your employees or whoever it is, your colleagues, patients? whoever they are, if you're not there for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that also, like you said earlier, you know, men really want to be loved. Of course they do. But if a woman or a man doesn't know how to love themselves or value themselves, it's extremely hard for them to truly generously connect to another person because they're missing something inside. Well, and how many male and female that the only way they know how to love is to give tangible things rather than giving up themselves. You know, or right, their their work. For yeah, or even their work. You know that right. uh, there's a lot of men who say, "Well, I worked my butt off for my family." I and, for you. Yeah. What's the problem here? Why do you want more from me? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they don't have the programming. They don't have the programming, perhaps from their own family, of how to really be demonstrably affectionate because that's not considered masculine a strong man right right and if if you right. had a father and a grandfather and you know it went on from for generations where they That's just went out violent type right yes. like <laughs> right right it, it doesn't always work in terms of giving what each person needs so well yeah. listen i know that uh you'll be back in about four months uh, okay back on the show again and uh, so let people know how they can find you, dear, so that if they need some couple counseling, male or female, that they can get hold of you. Yeah, and healing. And I, I really do work with um, tearing, uh, digging into the childhood programming is really mm. um, the biggest aspect of the work I do, largely through emotional freedom techniques, EFT, where we go, we really go in and dig into what that childhood programming is and dismantle it piece by piece, right? change the nervous system, change the, like deactivate the triggers that drive a person to behave in these self disempowering ways, right? You literally give up your power to somebody else and uh, denigrate your own worth 
to give, 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 but you're giving from an empty bucket. Right. I mean, if, if the gas tank is empty, you got no one's going anywhere. In. Yeah. And you get a, a marriage breakdown. Mm-hmm. Too, right. If mm-hmm. women are just empty, they're running on empty and the men are running on empty too. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're all, we're all um, victims, I guess, of this old programming. It's very, very old and it's time for it to be changed. Like we are in, a, we're just in such a new era now. People's minds are opening and expanding. There's new possibilities in front of us. I mean, there's a lot of crappy stuff happening in the world too, but I also think that we're at a point where people are kind of, I just think that, you know, we accumulate trauma, as you know, in your nervous system and it's passed down into the DNA seven generations back um, is how long those, like the mutations to the DNA go back that far. So I just think that with, you know, how human consciousness has been lower, say in the past with a lot more violence, a lot more just general shit going down. Um, what life used to be like is pretty brutal um, for, for, for centuries. And we're carrying all that trauma. And I think we're at a, because we're still, we are still carrying it from seven generations back. And I think we're at a literal breaking point in our nervous systems with what's going on in the world um, externally and what's happening with people internally and anxieties, depression, uh, marriage breakdown, relationship breakdowns of all types are becoming so common. And people are saying, but we have to do this differently now. Like we're at the yes. sharp end of the stick and what are we going to do now? We have to heal. Mm-hmm. We have to heal. It's like, it's time to heal this stuff. It's like, it's bubbling up to the surface for healing. Well, and what's interesting is it's not only humanity healing, but mm. hopefully the, our environment healing too, because they work hand in hand. Right. Like our, our animal um, mm-hmm. friends, right? Like the other, the other species that we're on. This right. Yeah. yeah. We all share. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, thank you so much for being my guest again today. And my pleasure. Uh, Thanks for having me. I will um, have your um, contact information for people. Uh, yeah, on Melanie the... at MelanieStar.ca is just the easiest way to get me. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thanks okay. again. And everybody, please go out there and make this your very best life. See you next time. Boomers Forever Young is really making a name for themselves as an exciting nutritional company with products that really work. People from all over the country are starting to take notice. Their whole person approach to health and wellness, combined with their unique array of powerful natural health products, are setting them apart from all the other companies in the nutrition industry. Their customers love the one-on-one free consultations and the results they experience. Sound a little too good to be true? Then go online to boomerboost.com today and sign up for a free consultation with a product specialist or just give us a call at 1-800-861-4609. Again, that's boomerboost.com or call 1-800-861-4609 to join the thousands already experiencing the benefits of Boomers Forever Young products.